Welcome to Build to Lead, forming the healthcare leaders of tomorrow. Back at you for season three. There's no denying that the last two to three years have been tough, and news cycles continue to report on the doom and gloom happening at home and abroad. And today, we want to take a breather from that and reflect on something more positive joy. But what is joy? Joy is energy. Joy is resistance. Joy is being in your mojo. Let's learn together on season three of Built to Lead, getting back to joy. Welcome back to Built to Lead, season three, episode nine, Engagement and Joy, part two. I'm Ubin. And I'm Matthew. And today we're continuing our conversation with Mary Yulbin. This part of the episode focuses on two articles, one about avoiding Zoom fatigue. Maybe it's teen fatigue, maybe it's another platform, maybe I'm not really familiar with it, but we all know that enemy of engagement in the post-COVID workplace. And in the other article, we step away from healthcare a bit and we see what we can learn about peak engagement or what some people call flow state and how we can actually get to that or as close as possible in a healthcare setting. Both of these articles are linked in the episode description if you want to check them out. Personally, I found the one about flow and sports and music to be very intriguing. It gave me some good tips, Mobin, that I hope that I can apply in improving my workflow, but also my mid-range jumper in basketball, my serve in tennis with Serena gone. I know somebody has to take her place. I don't think it will be <laughs> me, but we can see about that. And then as well as skating, so we can't forget about our winter sports. But before we get into that, Mobin, I just want to maybe hear from you. Like, do you have any examples of a time where engagement was central to your joy? Honestly, Matthew, there's an unlimited amount of examples that I can think of. I think engagement is so central to my joy. Um, one of the key kind of attributes that make my experience within the workforce or just within life super exciting is is how I engage w- with my colleagues, my friends, and my family. You know, and you mentioned sports, and I, and I think I, sports is and sports displays such great amount of engagement, whether it be within kind of team settings, um, whether it be relationships with players, um, and even exactly. like just coaching staff and like those who you don't see on the court. And I'm using basketball as an example, but like those who you don't see on the court, but are kind of really keeping the lights open in the operational uh, sense are all working together hand in hand in some form of engagement in order to make that entire show um, kind of just really engaging for all of us watching at home. So so it's something that I definitely look forward to when I go to work, um, just engaging with my friends and my, I want to say colleagues, um, and just learning from them and just really learning more from their experience and their lived experience really on how I can be better in the workforce as well. Mm-hmm. But that's that's engagement for me and and how it's central to my joy. But without a further ado, let's listen to Mary Bean talk about engagement and joy. These type of engagement problems aren't really just at a clinical level. They persist on a non-clinical aspect of our system too, especially now as everyone knows Zoom fatigue. So luckily we're on Squadcast right now, so we're not adding to that. So just disclaimer for everyone, but we really don't want to belabor the dangers of Zoom fatigue. And it's known too well that this is a problem post-COVID-19. In particular, it's threats to engagement. Canadian HR reporters suggest that shorter meetings, something that I love, I'm not somebody, if you know me, that does long meetings. <laughs> and it's just really allowing space uh, for personal on-video meetings. So just to reintroduce what that engagement means, especially noting the appearance of spouses, kids, 
animal companions. FY, Mobin has a, a tiger in his background for all the people <laughs> listening. And then really just restoring that positive engagement around virtual meetings. So is there something maybe that you do, Mary, personally, to maintain that engagement and enjoy in a virtual world? Well, there is if I do a long meeting. Before I get to that, though, I want to say to the issue of the tiger and the dogs, my favorite thing during COVID was seeing my colleagues with either their dogs or their kids. So one time I was doing a call, we were in a faculty meeting, and one of my colleagues was driving back in an RV and his dog was in the middle. And so his phone was in the place where you put the phone for GPS. So we all we had was this his dog's face and him driving. And I watched it. It was actually really soothing. The whole movie, he's just driving along. You can see him like a truck driver. And this dog is checking everything out. <laughs> the other one is my other colleague has a little girl. And oh my gosh, she would sit on his lap. And it was the best. I mean, I loved watching him interact with her. It warms my heart right now to think about it. It's real joy. So I think those are the things that Zoom can offer. Um, people who are going from meeting to meeting all day long, it is the worst. And so, again, I think people need to learn to schedule in their own breaks. So even if their company's not letting them or others, you've got to find your way to take your break. And we've been doing a lot of teaching on Zoom, which is longer sessions. And what I've learned is just to manage the energy. So literally, we'll be in Zoom and I'll say, OK, stand up, bend, do a forward fold, bend, stretch your arms, you know, move around, jump up and down. Or we'll take, I make sure they take breaks and walk around and get to other places. And I'll even tell them sometimes if you're really tired, turn the camera off and go do whatever you need to do so you can listen better. So all of those things, I think, are more humanistic and we can just pay attention to them. That's amazing. Kind of learning from, learning from your leadership style and the way that kind of you've got a chance to facilitate. What are some specific techniques and tips that you can share with our viewership uh, and those listening? For Zoom or just in general? Honestly, we'd be open to both. <laughs> okay, so for Zoom, like I said, I think the key thing is if you're going to have long Zoom meetings, you've got to take breaks. And we did a conference one time, and people were trying to talk in normal ways. And I, I suggested to the group, let's just, just use the chat. Because if you've got a whole bunch of faculty, we all want to talk. We all love listening to ourselves. And that's not the way to do it. So I said, we have a chat feature. So we ideated, and everybody was pouring their ideas in. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that was better. We should do that in real meetings because we got so much done when we would do it. So I think learning to use the different features, and all of us have seen that. There have been people who are really good at learning to use features of Zoom. So those were, would be techniques there. I think in general, in leadership, my approach is that I like to use a partnership co-creation model. So to the extent possible, I do that. And then I tailor it to the individual. So I will allow a person to thrive in whatever their complexity zone is. If they're in too much order, I'll pop them up a bit, but make it safe for them. But really, that's where engagement comes. And then I try to support them and I try to create the conditions for where people can be heard, people can feel that they have the chance to be creative and to really work together in a collaborative way. Just, just following up on that, I think something that really stands out to me uh, in particular, which is a common theme in our conversation today, is this if you're able to fill in breaks for yourself, you will have a better time engaging in a group. And I think it's, it's. I know you're nodding, and so I want to hear kind of your comment. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you brought that up because, again, I think this goes to the well-being thing that I brought up at the beginning. And the biggest learning I've had is that you need to take care of yourself. Because I heard somebody say in the last couple of years that it's 
hurt people hurt people, right? So hurt people hurt people. If you're hurt, mm. you're going to hurt other people. And yes. that's a lot of the problem. So I have, I had an incident last year where I got hurt by somebody at work and I know that that person was hurt and they were dealing with something and they didn't take care of their issue and it landed on me. Now, fortunately, I knew that happened when it happened and I was able to recognize it as such, but that doesn't excuse what happened. So I think more and more we need to start understanding if people are acting up and they're acting in a certain way, they don't like acting like that. Most people, now granted, there's some that do, but most people don't. So let's see what we can do to try to help those people and get them the support and then tell them it's okay to take care of yourself, especially in healthcare. We know this doctors are the worst at this and nurses, they're great caregivers, but they don't always take care of themselves either. So it really is about learning to take care of ourselves and then helping others take care of themselves. And I think you know what I mean by take care of yourself, right? Yeah, because you mentioned it at the beginning too, in terms of those yoga classes. So even something that I do personally is that like at lunchtime, like that hour, I always try to protect it. Yes. And then right at four o'clock, if there's a meeting afterwards, like just take a walk to go outside because I'm on the computer all the time. So just get back um, into nature. So as you're saying, even as leaders, like how do we create those spaces of engagement for our team, for our colleagues to make sure they can actually take time for themselves. So maybe if it's our meeting, finishing five minutes early, because we know that we're going on this kind of hamster wheel of meeting to meeting. So give somebody a, a break. Or if I were, I, I'm currently not leading people in this way, but if I were, I would be saying schedule 15 minute breaks in between or yeah. take the time. And I think the other thing is just letting, knowing, paying attention to other people and knowing when they need a break and telling them it's okay, go take a walk. Go. Or if we're feeling stuff that's starting to come up, we feel things in our body and we all do. Every one of us does then going to and doing whatever release it takes. And sometimes it's just five or 10 minutes of breathing that can help you get things back under control. But I mean, healthcare is just full of this. We all know it. People are dealing with so much burnout, so much anxiety and stress. We need to come up with these skills and make it something that is desirable. Like we applaud people for doing it. Absolutely. And, and we've been focusing a lot on engagement at group and organizational level but there's something that we're talking about now, which is personal engagement and personal joy. And one of the greatest experiences of engagement someone can have is entering flow states. That feeling when time seems to stop as you are doing the task you are working on and you are simply in the state of doing. To learn about this, we leave the world of healthcare and instead look to athletes and musicians who have extensive research on this topic. Overall, you can't force yourself into flow, but you can set the conditions for it. Athletes and musicians have three phases of stage setting that the article talks about. The first one being preparation, where warm-ups, focus, body feelings, and emotional state plays roles in getting ready to enter flow. In phase two, we have that flow entry state. So that's where that goal setting, high activity involvement, performance control, and positive emotion better establish conditions for entering flow. And then once we come out of that flow is the exits. So that's phase three. So that's the end of the performance and the physical and mental experience that allows us to healthy for a healthy return from that flow state. And one of the key aspects of flow as explained in psychology is really finding that right challenge as we talked about that tension for that skills and strength balance. To achieve flow, one must be, as they say, in the zone. So in your research, have you ever seen leaders you would categorize as being in a zone that's highly engaged? What do you think is 
that brought them there? Like, how did they actually achieve this, this zone state, this flow state? All right. So I love this topic and I want to kind of turn it on its head a little bit. So I want to ask both of you, how often are you in flow? Have you ever been in flow? We could ask that. Have you ever been in it? <laughs> are you in it? So, you know, what's funny. I'm just thinking to myself right now. And me having to think when I was in flow last is in itself problematic. <laughs> um, no, but Mary, like it's you've asked a challenging question and it's funny because we're talking about it by the same time when you self-reflect, it's it's off case. Matthew, I'm gonna have to let you answer I first. Think, I think I've been in flow. I don't know, basketball one time I, I dropped like eight three pointers in a row. I'm not really a three point shooter, so I'm pretty sure that's like a flow state and even just coming back to work. Friday mornings, I like I try to protect that time, get the work done and put on the music. And I could kind of find myself getting into that flow because when I'm interrupted by a message, it feels like everything just crumbles in a way. Right. And so, Matthew, if you think about that, you brought up a work example. I mean, is that really flow the way that Chick sent me high means it? Is that truly a flow state or you're just kind of focusing a little bit? So I say this to challenge you because I think flow is a really incredible concept, but I'm not sure people are in it very often. It's, it's so a real we, point. Yeah. <laughs> how do we know then? Okay. So here's what I would say next. I have been in flow in my career, but not very often. And it's usually occurred when I'm writing. So I'll be in a writing state and then all of a sudden, wow, I'm like so creative and it's just coming out and I, I can do this, but I can do this because I can have uninterrupted time. So the only time I can get into flow is when it's uninterrupted and we have that in academia, we can schedule so that we can do that. If you take this to work and especially healthcare and taking care of patients and all the things that happen. That's a, an environment where there's so many things happening around you. I can't imagine that flow is occurring. So I did think of one example where it might happen in healthcare. And it was really interesting because Mobin made a slip earlier and I don't think he caught it. He said the first article was on surgery, but it isn't. It was on obstetrics. But I think it's really interesting that he said surgery because the only place I could think of, and maybe you have some other ones, but the only place I could think of where this could happen, where people could be in flow is potentially in surgery. Why do I say that? I saw a show, it was on Netflix and it was some hospital in New York City. I don't know if you've seen it, but they were doing interviews with surgeons, a surgical group, and it, I think it was oncology. And they were, they were doing these surgeons. And so you get to watch them and then COVID happened at the end. So it starts to come into the show. What happens there is they, Think about the surgery they're going to do. They've got a complex patient that's going to be all day. They've studied all of this ahead of time, overnight and before they're doing the preparation that we're describing in the flow process. And then they come in in the morning. And what was really interesting is they would do a group thing where they would actually breathe. There was one surgeon who would do a breathing kind of mindfulness activity with his team to get them in that state. And then they get in and you can kind of watch them. I think they're in flow. And they're just, it's running and they, they are doing this. But again, it's uninterrupted for the most part. I mean, if people, they've got some med students coming in, but it's mostly uninterrupted in terms of the space that they have for this. So that's the closest I can come. No, I, I we really appreciate that. And thank you for that call out. <laughs> I didn't realize, but I'm glad that worked out uh, for this question. <laughs> Um, something that really stood out for me in this specific article was the notion that, you know, you can't 
force yourself into the flow, but you can set the conditions for it. So sometimes we might not intentionally think, all right, I'm going to set 15 to 20 minutes to kind of be in the state of flow. But sometimes when you're creating the conditions ahead of time, you enter situations thinking, all right, maybe now will be a good time for me to, you know, focus in on something and get in the zone. Exactly. So now I want to bring it full circle and tie it back to where we started, which is the idea of presence. Presence and grounded and connected. That's really what flow is. Flow is getting yourself yourself so fully in the present and so connected and so grounded that all of those distractions and the other things that come, the anxiety states and the stressors, they, they're not there. You're in the state of being highly creative and really low anxiety or no anxiety. So I think that that's, that's really, again, the key. The thing that people can do to help themselves in the workplace is to learn how to get yourself into those states as often as possible. Mindfulness. That is not easy. You know, some people call it meditation. But the, the simple things that are happening are people, again, being able to breathe or being able to clear some things from your head. So if we use the example of athletes, that's what they do. And my husband was watching the golf tournament last weekend. There was a golfer, and I think he was from Chile, and I don't remember his name, but he was winning the entire tournament, the entire thing. And this, this guy is kind of out of nowhere. It gets down to the end. And they now have a three-way tie and he, he bundles it at the end. And I believe what happened was he was in the flow and then it got to him. All of a sudden it's like, call out. Okay, here we are. We're in this. And the anxiety probably kicked in and he messed up at that point. So I think this is a really common kind of thing. It's very hard to keep yourself in that state, but the more you practice it, the more you can get into those moments. And I don't think we'll get flow in the way that that they talk about it in the positive psychology work, but I think we can get moments of mindfulness that allow us to flow more and just overall flow better. Absolutely. And kind of going back to the question of what entrepreneurs, operational leaders or enabling leaders can do to set the stage, what are some tangible suggestions, advices, or just learnings or insights even you can share um, to, the, to the listeners on what they can do in order to set that stage? for their teams or even themselves? So I wrote my colleagues today because we had an, a retreat to address our leadership program. And we've got a new group who came in. We've got a new leader and mostly new faculty. And we were together from nine to two and they're all writing out the thanks. And I wrote and said, thanks, you brought me joy today because we were in an adaptive space and you created this really engaging adaptive space that allowed us to co-create leadership and generate this incredible adaptability in our program because of the people who came. So I think in the complexity standpoint, that complexity leadership, the co-creation process instead of the old hierarchical process, and the idea of getting people in the right state to do this adaptive work, that is like flow. I mean, that, it's not flow in the, the way that they describe, but you get a lot of ideation and brainstorming and collaboration and co-creation that's happening and that energizes. So I was just so energized at the end versus a nine to two meeting. So often that's draining, but I am able to sit here tonight and still have energy because of that meeting. So I think that's what complexity can offer. Well, Mary, thank you for just still joining us after that nine to two meeting. I know for me, as I said, I'm, I like short meetings, so that would, that would, I'll definitely be drained. Um, but I think even what you talked about is a form of like group flow state. So even as you have those shared values, those shares, goals, and even going back to what you're talking about, that chaos, complexity, and order, 
that's kind of like finding that same balance between that skills and challenge. So I do think that we're on that same thing as we talk about engagement and just understanding, as you said, that co-creation piece of leadership. So it's not just the leaders, how the followership also combines with the leadership to create uh, those connections. So I just really love how all that connects. And if I can tie that even a little bit more, I can give you some more detail. So we had a new leader come in and I have been in this program for a long time. So I had a lot of ideas, but I had to manage the followership piece because he's the leader, right? So I can't overrun him. I can't be too dominating. And he and I understood that. So what I now know about followership is that the key to make fo making followership work is, ironically, you have to respect authority. So there has to be some clear authority. He had the authority. He's the person in the position. I didn't apply for it. I didn't want it. So now what I have to do is partner and co-produce with him and do that in a very delicate way so that I understand he's accepting and embracing what I'm doing versus me dominating. And we even had a conversation on break and I said, if I'm too strong and he's like, no, 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 this is great. So that's how the, the followership co-creation piece of it works. But the other thing that happened was because we had new faculty and I know some of them and I know they're of the same ilk as me. So we finally now have a team of people and they're, they're willing and ready to start driving complexity. And I'm like, yay, we can do this. I've been sitting waiting for the right time. So a lot of complexity and adaptability is also timing. It's the opportunity that you have available to you. It's the people who were there. So we have this incredible expertise in the group now. And then it's creating the conditions for all of those people to shine and for this conflicting process where we can all throw things in the middle and push back on each other. And what ends up sparking is what we call the space between. It's not any single person's idea. It's generated in the space between. And when you've got great minds in there, you just get this incredible stuff that comes out of it. And I guess that's how they say that's how the magic happened. It it's, is. It's in those, it's, it's those in-between states where you're able to, as a leader, ignite another team member's spark where they're in the zone and you're able to facilitate that environment. It's where you're able to move forward and push forward. And I think in healthcare specifically, this was definitely a challenge during the pandemic where there was a lot of burden and complexity. As we start kind of exiting the, the case numbers, the high case numbers, we're going to be able to see that more often. And I think one physical example has been shared spaces in workspaces, how kind of, you know, now there's no cubicles um, and they're kind of open concept. You can sit beside someone, introduce yourself and have this space where you can, you know, freely just work and be collaborative and share yourself. Yes. So, so, so that's, that's been, that's been an example that I've been able to see in the workforce. Yes. And your example of the facilitating is really what we call the enabling role in that room. So if you think about the person who was leading this, it was a very different kind of leadership style. And so we have to recognize that he was allowing a lot of this to happen and he was facilitating. But when you're facilitating an adaptive space like that, it can be like riding a bucking bronco because you've got all these people. So we had very entrepreneurial people. And I will tell you, a lot of us were holding way back because we understood if we if we went full force, this was going to like destroy the whole room. But you're, you've got entrepreneurial people. You need to have also the operational. So we have incredible operational people in the room who can take the stuff. And I, I just love this team because we've got a person on it who anytime I come up with ideas and ideate, she's running with it. She knows exactly how to implement it. And then this new person is comfortable in the enabling role 
and isn't taking that as an affront to his authority or an affront to his position. And instead, he's recognizing that great things can come of this and he's willing to use that approach. So all three kinds of leadership there, the entrepreneurial of the ideating and the learning and all of that, that the operational in terms of implementing, but the enabling that looks really different that creates the conditions for that to happen. Thank you so much for sharing. As we near the end of today's podcast episode, uh, in session three, we have introduced a new segment called Rapid Fire. Uh, Matt and I will ask you five questions where you'll be able to answer each one in either a couple of words or just a sentence. Now, this is something that we didn't share with you because we wanted to leave a little surprise factor uh, at the end. And this will just be a fun way to get to know you a little deeper and end the episode with some excitement and ultimately joy. So, okay. so let's get started. Mary, are you ready? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Not really. Not really. I'm scared to death. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, the question will be that hard. <laughs> so the first question is, what is one thing you're deeply grateful for right now? The caring, supportive environment I work in. That's I'm deeply, deeply grateful to my colleagues who care for the whole being. The second question we have is, what is one thing leaders can do or say to bring joy to their teams? I, I have to do two, which is you did a great job. And the other is, how can I help you? Or what? how are you doing? How are you doing? Check in. How can I help you? So you can show the support. And the support comes from that question of how are you really? And That's great job. Oh, it's the intent behind the question. Yes. Um, and making it meaningful as well. Love that. The third question is, it's been a very long day and you just got home. What is the very first thing you do? Well, most of my career, I would take a bath. So literally, it was like I'd go to the bathroom. It's my way to transition into the house because I'd have kids and all this stuff. And it was still private. And I washed the day off. And it just it was like a way to comfort. You wash the day off. And then I enter the space. Side question, just to add to that. So that's a 3B. Is uh, You talk about complex versus complicated. So is a bubble bath complex or is that complicated? Oh, <laughs> oh my. Um. Well, it probably is complex. So the, what makes the bubbles is most likely a complexity interaction, but I can't explain it. <laughs> so then maybe after that bath, you say, what was the last show that you binged and you loved? Oh, gosh. I haven't been loving the ones I'm watching lately. They're all pretty ugly. Because <laughs> mm, I can tell you the ones I've binged lately, which is... Better Call Saul and Ozark and Barry. And those, you know all the themes of them. So they're yeah. pretty So I probably need a more positive one. I don't know what's out there. I'm open for recommendations. I'm watching Better Call Saul. So I'm with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So last question. This was the complicated one. So fill in the blank. Joy is. Energy. Joy is energy. It's positive energy. And I do want to say there's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy is energy. It's that elation that you feel in your body. It's like a buzz. It's like a high, right? Joy. Happiness, and I think many people get this wrong. Happiness is being able to cope with all of the things that come at you and stay in a decent state. People think happiness means you need to be joyful all the time. And I, I deal with this with my undergrad students. They're getting better, but they used to think they were so stressed out. These 22-year-olds, I'm like, what is going on? 
they felt so much pressure to be happy. I mean, literally, they were like, we have to be happy and I'm not happy all the time. So that's joy. They think that it needs to be joy. And happiness is not that. Happiness is the ability to be in your life and have it running and understanding that things are coming at you, positive and negative, but you can keep it in the zone of where you can manage it. So you can be present in the negative. You can be present in the positive. You don't let it hijack you. So I think it's really important that people understand that happiness is having that sense of control over yourself and the situation that you're in so you can deal with all of those fluctuations because life is a fluctuation. Joy is energy. Well, being that's another sign that we have to get. Yeah, absolutely. We're that, That's a tweetable moment. I definitely resonate with that. And honestly, we're going to end it on that joyful note. Mary, it's been such a pleasure having you join us on Built to Lead. This podcast is about leadership finding your joy and just being you. And we felt that throughout this entire episode. So I thank you for creating the space and sharing your energy by being here. Thank you for your dedication, time and knowledge in building leadership. And I'm sure that there have been a lot of pearls in this episode and it's been meaningful to our listeners to learn from you and your experience. Thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for putting it together and for addressing joy. We all need that. Yes, thank you. It's always a little bittersweet when the interviews are wrapped. I feel like we were really just getting into the flow with them. No (laughs) pun intended. And I think that makes sense. When we consider what Mary has mentioned during this discussion, these interview settings mirror the conditions she has suggested are conducive to being more engaged and present. Our phones are off. Our email notifications are silent. We talk with the guests a little bit before we start hitting record. We have prep emails sent by our producer so everyone knows what to expect. We have our notes and guideposts throughout the conversations. So we have some idea of where it's all going. And even though oftentimes our guests take us somewhere we don't expect those notes and guideposts to go. Exactly. So generally speaking then, Matthew, engagement is really inextricably linked to presence. And while we can't be intentional about flow, we can be intentional about presence. Mm I think we could do a whole podcast series on how we could be more intentional, present, and mindful. Yeah, exactly. Something that helped me personally to be more present is M&Ms. So if you're hungry at the time, I'm not talking about chocolate. Um, I'm really talking about meditation and movement. So for me, I find that especially when I'm embarking on any like big challenge or big issue, when I'm able to find that quiet time to embrace that challenge, when I'm able to embrace that nervousness, in addition to finding some type of movement. So what I've done before in the past is maybe a couple push-ups before an important Zoom meeting, or it's an early morning run before a long day at work. And I find that really just helps me to be more equipped so that I can be present. So in the moment when I feel myself, or maybe it's like my inner voice is just drifting, I'm able to keep reminding myself, I'm like, Matthew, stay in the moment. Matthew, stay in the present. And that has helped me to be more present. I can totally relate to that. But let's bring it to the listeners. Listeners, do you have different tips you use to be present? Drop us a comment on our Instagram post about presence. What are some ways of being present? Let's learn together. Well, that's all for today's episode. Next week, we begin our exploration of achievement and joy. Until then, we wish you a smile, a laugh, the energy that being joyful brings, and most of all, joy. Thank you for joining us on Built to Lead, Season 3, Getting Back to Joy. Built to Lead is created and hosted by Matthew Goldberg. 
and co-hosted by Mubin Lalani. Built to Lead is a companion podcast to the Vernissage Health Dialogue series at the Institute of Health Policy, Management, and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Tell us what you thought about this week's episode. You can find us on LinkedIn at Vernissage Health and on Instagram at Vernissage Health. You'll find both of these in the episode description. Today's episode was produced by Hannah Hodgins and Tony Deshenza. With music composed by Sindhu. Special thanks to Wendy Nelson, Senior Fellow at the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation.